वेलकम टू सिम टॉक सिम टॉक इज अराउंड द टेबल टुडे डिस्कस द एब्सट्रैक्शंस एट लार्ज विल थिंक अबाउट द आइडिया मीनिंग इन द प्रोसेस ऑफ एब्सट्रैक्शन यूजिंग कॉन्सेप्ट्स फ्रॉम मैथमेटिक्स आर्ट फिलोसफी एंड फिल्म स्टडीज what can and cannot be abstracted is the non representational abstract by default and why not what is not abstraction is concrete merely a special case of the abstract what is the connection if any between abstractness and abstraction what are some methods and processes to fruitfully abstract in various realms why make abstract films or art at all How does abstractness morph over time? What is the very long-term value of the abstract? And does it have a future, and why? And what comes after abstract? We are pleased and privileged to have three sin talkers with us here today. Professor Moinak Biswas. He teaches film studies at Jadavpur University in Kolkata. and he also writes widely on cinema and culture Professor Gadadhar Mishra who works as a mathematician at ISC Bangalore very moved after spending a long time in ISI and Pushpamala N who's an independent artist living in Bangalore she works in photo and video performance He started a career as a sculptor and is also a writer and a curator. Brother, why don't we set the ball rolling with you? Um, at least, you know, to to a layman on the outside, all of mathematics sounds abstract. Uh, so, <laughs> what is what is and is not abstract for you? What? How would you define abstraction very broadly? And then, you know, we'll take that up and flesh that out further as we go. <clears throat> uh the abstraction of course exists um all around us uh that we don't really recognize uh consciously uh for example to be able to count is already an abstraction because two apples and two oranges uh we we sort of think of them as just two and that mm. is an abstraction uh the notions of length that we come across in day to day life um whether they are measured in different units or not um uh, from a certain point of view the fact is that uh, something is a long distance versus something is not is already an abstraction um uh, being able to abstract is something that seems to be kind of natural to to our thinking whether you give it the level of mathematics or not it really it doesn't matter you you sort of look at look at something that you want to do and uh, after a while you find that there is uh, a repetitive task you you have several other other problems of the same kind and rather than solving each of those problems separately uh, one often wonders if there is a 
uh, sort of way in which you can abstract the essence of the problem at hand so that when somebody gives you a problem uh, which is similar in nature, rather than having to solve it ab initio, you would be able to actually uh, apply what you have already done in several previous instances. But abstraction is not just generalization, right? We're no, just this, is, this is not actually, uh, when I say having to uh, do uh, similar problems, I don't mean uh, generalization. So here is, here is the best way to say it. Uh, for example, the notion of a distance, um, it ultimately gives rise to distinct kinds of geometry. Mm -hmm. So on the on the uh, flat land where where uh, we sort of um, draw lines and say that the best way to move from uh, point A to point B is to go along a straight line is a notion of a distance. Right. But uh, but if you are traveling on a globe, the way uh, the way the plane uh, travels from Delhi to New York is not exactly a straight line. Right. And that comes from the understanding that you must abstract the notion of a distance. It's a similar problem. You are asking the same question. What is the best way to go from point A to point B? So what is that abstracted notion of distance in this example? Okay, so... Um, so is there a way of abstracting the notion of distance across different geometries? Yes, hmm. that's, that's precisely what I'm trying to say. That... Uh, Abstracting the notion of distance across different uh, geometries uh, is, is to be able to identify what it is that qualifies to be called a distance. And uh, What's the answer? Yeah, so the answer is what we call axioms for a distance. Mm -hmm. So, for example, the distance between two points mm -hmm. must actually be zero. I mean, you cannot imagine a distance that sort of assigns uh, non-zero distance to the same two points. If you have point A mm -hmm. and point B is exactly the same as point A, then you are not going to travel at all, which means that the distance between two points which are identical must be zero. But this would hold across geometries? Hmm? This would hold across different geometries? Yes, this will hold across different geometries. Mm -hmm. The distance between two identical points must be zero. Mm -hmm. What's so special about this? Uh, nothing. It's just that you ask yourself, as I said, what it takes to identify across different geometries, what is the basic minimum that is common? Mm -hmm. Now, it, it, it really doesn't sound so, like... So does, sure. So does that axiom exhaust the abstracted notion of distance? Not just one. There are mm -hmm. two others that, mm -hmm. that make it... The, the next one that holds across any geometry is that the distance between any two points mm -hmm. must actually be positive. Right. Okay. And then the third one that makes the distance what it is, is what is called a triangle inequality. That is, if you go from A to B and then go from B to C, that must be bigger in distance than, A to C. than going from A to C. Right. Okay. This is called the triangle inequality. The point is, it has taken hundreds and hundreds of years for people to recognize. To come up with these three axioms. To come up with these three. 
this is what is actually a rather good example of what one would like to call abstraction. Right. Of course, if you want to go a little before, you would, you would be able to say the way we count today is an example of an abstraction. Right. Because in the earlier days, when people had to say that uh, that they have to divide, let us say, the number of mangoes between you and me, sure. they will simply pile them up into and two when different they piles similar, and then, then see which pile is more or less. So, so over, there was over. a notion of more or less, sure. but not actually counting. So the counting is an abstraction of having to compare uh, sets, for example. Mm. Mm. So these are very, very kind of elementary examples of abstraction. Sure. But as you correctly, I mean, I, let me just finish by saying, as you correctly said, there is a there is a distinction between generalization versus abstraction. Um, two things can happen. You can take a practical problem and you can try to say, I will model this practical problem in such a way that a solution can be found. Mm. Sometimes you might call that abstraction. But mm. then there is a question in your model, as a special case, whether the initial problem is included or not. Right. Okay. Right. So, so that's where lies the right. difference. I mean, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. So I think we'll come back, yeah, come back sure. and make it more complex. Yeah. So, Moinak, if we travel to the world of films and cinema and literature and arts and in, in, in general, clearly the sense in which one uses the word abstract is different. Um, is there a way in which it is similar at all to what Gadadar might be saying? Or why don't we start off by understanding how, how you would understand the concept of abstraction? See, I would I would put it more simply, but definitely what Gadadhar was talking about was a fundamental thing. Yes. I don't think that there must be a connection between what happens in other fields, mm. because this is uh, these are fundamental principles. You see, of but if we just go to a slightly simpler level, mm -hmm. one can start with the um, with the assertion or with the belief that something like the cinema. Mm -hmm. On the screen, usually, I mean, the way what you expect from it mm -hmm. is to is to give body, is to give body to even abstract things like emotions, give or abstract things like huh, a mood, that's very interesting. and so right. on and so affect and so on and so forth. Mm. So that there is something that has a physical shape, that has a physical. I mean, it can be a, an image of a landscape, even clouds gathering on the sky. It doesn't have to be a body, in the sense a human of a human body. But so in a sense, that's making the abstract somewhat less abstract. That is what I'm saying. That right. it is the, the, the standard, normal belief is that cinema is about bodies. And I think it, there, is, there is truth in it. What do you mean by that? I mean, in the sense that I just, uh, the example that I quoted, if you just, uh, just think of an image which doesn't necessarily have a human body or an animal body. Mm -hmm. But just the, the, the you know, Some nature shape. itself or landscape itself or the sky itself and so on. If that conveys something to you, let's say a sense of desolation to you, a yeah. sense of uh, impending, impending gloom or a sense of anxiety to you or sadness to you and so on. Whatever it does, it actually, the sky embodies something for you. Right. In that sense. But you see, this is already abstract in the sense that in any linguistic operation, I mean, this is also some sort of language. It's yes. not a verbal language. But, yes. Uh, in in any language, if you if you if you use a sign for something else, 
it's a signifier it's a, yeah if you use a cdc if you since you use the word signifier mm. that sort of linguistics where it mm. became popular the word signifier right they understand the word signified what the signifier signified signifies yes the signified as not the thing so if i say room the signified room is not this room yes Because it should be as a dictionary word it should be able to signify many rooms all sorts of rooms right therefore the signified is a concept in my head that's beautiful yeah so it's it's actually yeah. the it's it's they are so thoroughly entangled with one another the instance of so called concrete mm-hmm. bodies mm-hmm. and the instance the inst- instance of abstraction because we are already in the aesthetic realm in the realm of representation right if you talk about cinema media whatever they're so deeply entangled with one another it's very difficult to separate them and it's a more interesting thing to me mm-hmm. the more curious thing to me is that some something that we often take as the body the physical presence of something for me on the screen mm-hmm. if you think slightly differently or look at it from a different point of view might turn out to be an abstraction of something else so this play if you like right. between two levels never stops right 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 and when one thinks of some abstract filmmakers uh, the more oh, experimentalist di- sort what thing. exactly are they up to when, the, when non 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 figurative non figurative non adjective non narrative they don't use uh, the conceptions dialogue, of space and time narrative, and narrative body human body actors doing something to each other but they even when they use actors for example somebody like man ray from the Right. Dada era or these these are things that people have started doing from the very early on 1920s if you look at the european avant-garde these all these people people associated with futurism dadaism surrealists actually held back from pure abstraction they were not very happy about it because arthur breton their guru was not happy about it but if you look at the other experimental film makers or the germans who who said we make absolute films mm-hmm. see that see the interesting thing right. they thought working with pure lines and shapes and colors is actually more concretely cinematic than working with actors and dialogue and so on and so forth so their films would just have scratches dancing right. that's a lines forming into circles semicircles disappearing coming back their uh, films would have all sorts of light and shade patterns appearing and going away and so on right so they would call that so there there is uh, in some sense there's no real interplay of different mediums it's just one medium acting no, in a that, certain that's way that's not true actually mm-hmm. there is more sometimes more interplay of different mediums as you call it mm-hmm. because they thought everything in terms of dance music painting and so on these filmmakers right. almost almost all of them were painters right painters or experimental like manre right who stopped painting and went into photo photo kind of you know uh, uh, photo and working with photographs right manipulating photographs marcel duchamp all sure. of them worked like that sure so actually this cinema in some sense was more actively in conversation with painting music poetry because the standard cinema cinema that we understand basically you know see as cinema was from the very beginning at least from 1908 9 onwards was closer to the novel if you think of a 
precursor. Yeah. yeah. It's a novel. As a literary form. As a literary form. But these guys were closer to poetry. To painting. To painting. Yeah. yeah. To music. So the instincts are painterly. Yeah. Let's They're go always, to you. Hmm. Yeah, sorry. Interesting. So let's go to you, Pushpa. Um, what you do and what co-artists and artists before you've done. Uh, what's abstraction for you? Is it merely non-representational and everything non-representational is abstract? Or you think of it in different terms? I think the act of making art itself is an abstraction mm -hmm. because people talk about uh, you know naturalism or realism mm -hmm. but in fact there are kind of fund fundamental principles that are used to structure uh, everything you know uh, for example uh, in the renaissance uh, they discovered or they invented this principle of uh, perspective right so and uh, also earlier in the greek times it was geometry mm -hmm. and uh, again like you know in indian art as well like different kinds of uh, uh you know you use metaphor and simile and for example you use uh, images of uh, natural uh, like saying you know like uh, poetic similes like uh, you know the the thigh is like a uh, you know um, a banana Ratios, trunk right. and so on mm. and also again geometry uh, mm. was used so in a sense so the in fact you mm. cannot uh, you know in, in fact uh, even about photography uh, when people talk about uh, photography is supposed to be was you know uh in a way supposed to be the most documentary mode which captures realism As but in is. fact that's been really critiqued and attacked because uh the minute you frame something uh, with a camera you're abstracting a part of the uh, reality and so you don't see what's happening outside the frame and therefore like you know uh, you don't know the whole context mm. so you're taking away something you know even if you don't put in anything like actors or whatever it is even if you look at a landscape or a scene you're you're taking away something and in fact even when you paint landscape uh there are principles of organization with everything there are that, that that's where the styles come in the schools come in and so on so you actually see a uh, landscape in a completely different way i mean the way a chinese uh, painter for instance would uh, you know paint landscape uh, he would be print, uh, uh, you know painting on completely different uh, principles than say uh, uh, you know uh, someone in the western tradition or someone in uh, so both of them are abstracting but they're abstracting in different ways yes because they're using different uh, principles aesthetic or philosophical principles mm. which are obviously abstract mm. 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 and and in what way does uh, for example you spoke about the influence of geometry or metaphors or simile is that an active process of just going yes, out the theories of it Mm. Yeah, it's But, theorized, and there are theories of it. Of it. But these are post-factor theories, or they're even while even as they're well, happening. Well, I think th things start from practice and then get theorized and go back into practice. You know, mm. I don't think there's theory before practice. So mm. I think the abstraction also comes from uh, practice. Mm. Mm. I mean, uh, I mean, I, it's a bit like you know, chicken and egg thing because if you see the earliest cave paintings, they're absolutely abstract. What are stick figures? You know. Yeah. So, in a sense, all art would be abstract for you, at least to some measure. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> to some measure. Absolutely. And, yeah. And is there? Let's let's use the word abstract in the more cliched sense. You know, when you look at a painting and say that you know there would be a laymanish way of saying this is abstract painting. Is there an abstract painting which is wrong? Is there an abstract painting which is like? Um, so anything which is vague is abstract. Is that? No right. No, again, everything is made on principles. Like, uh, for example, Moynak was talking about the experimental German uh, mm. uh, filmmakers uh, who actually talked about the materiality of film. Mm -hmm. Who, who in fact said, uh, abstraction is more real. I mean, without they said uh, not using actors or not using uh, sets and so on was more real uh, because uh, finally that is an artifice. Mm. 
Yeah. Here the reality is the material itself. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the canvas so in in some schools of abstraction like the canvas and paint are itself the real materials. Mm. And so you don't have to depict anything. Mm. Uh, mm. You know, you don't have to uh, mm. have a subject matter beyond that. That is the subject. Mm. 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 Interesting. And the uh, yeah, representation itself is an artifice. Mm. Interesting. And you know Moinak you spoke about this uh, aspect of embodying emotions embodying things like sadness or gloom or things of that sort is there a way in which you know some of the relatively more abstract things like let's say what mathematicians do i mean there would be complex and abstract areas and ideas there um, what cannot be abstracted and we'll go with, go to you first and maybe ask that same question of gadhadar a little bit later are there things that cannot be abstracted i mean if one, if one were to think of it somewhat theoretically well uh and you know we i understand that you don't start off by saying that this is the list of things that i'm going to abstract that's not the way filmmaking would work um, see you are using two words you're using the word abstract mm. you're also using the word abstraction yes the moment you say abstraction you are positing something as concrete as not abstract but it's it's kind of re- it's relational mm. i'm not using the word relative maybe or you can use the word relative but it's So in relation to a particular process of abstraction there must be something concrete in the sense that it is more sensuous it is more uh, measurable it is more quantifiable and so on and so forth it is mm. more easily grasped with with our five senses and so on and so forth so mm. you have to go on positing at every level of abstraction something that is in that sense non abstract concrete how how precise is that effort or that process because for example when you go about abstracting or looking for the more abstracted truth or theorem or whatever out of uh, the body of uh, mathematics that that operation or that process must be highly precise right you, you, no, you can't fact, just do anything uh, you like I mean, mm, what, how does that work in fact it is not uh, that's the reason why the example i gave of the distance just uh distilling those those three axioms saying it in those many words mm-hmm. i mean people knew what is a distance in fact people knew as the crow, crow flies right. is a concept that was very yes. common i mean yes. it's not as if but in only modern times the notion of distance was talked about that's because there is really no precise way of saying how you will abstract something uh well, let me ask you yeah. what cannot be abstracted okay uh, so i have uh, so uh, not all problems or whatever i'm abstracted right. solutions right 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 um as a working mathematician or people who sort of do this sort of thing for them um this actually uh, this is a question that they have to decide Uh, on a on a sort of a case by case basis and over a period of time i sort of gain enough intuition so that is where when you say it must be precise intuition is hardly precise i mean you know you keep uh, keep wondering about things and that's where it becomes very close to art or whatever at least my experience of doing that part of mathematics uh is is really uh, something that uh, that has no no real 
precise way of conducting yourself you you just wander around you keep uh, keep thinking about things and someday uh, something dawns upon you but uh, as what, far as what, yeah what cannot be abstracted huh, so coming back to the question of what cannot be what can certainly not be abstracted sure that is yeah. that realm where you may be undecided in that side uh very often what happens is uh, the the problems uh, that that uh, arise in real world they can often be modeled but not really abstracted so here one has to be careful about saying uh, what one means by abstraction and as i said one of the definitions one of the uh, things that you can adopt is to say if you are going to going to say that you have abstracted a problem then that problem must occur as a special case of your abstracted uh, you know realization or the abstract world the abstract world must include this problem in some form or the other so this case of the concrete has to be a sub part of the yeah, abstract some part so mm-hmm. for example this was a folklore problem namely that uh, you know how do you do packing uh this has been a very very common theme that uh, occurs in actually physical sciences and engineering uh, lattice arrangements molecules and uh, crystals and so on and so forth so so the basic issue is this suppose you take a whole bunch of pebbles and try to put it inside a cylindrical jar right. of some fixed size right you know you keep shaking it until right. you think you have packed right. as many pebbles as you have uh, as you can put in there right now this is a problem no matter how hard so you try so the so the problem statement here would be that how do you know that you can't pack more pebbles uh, no yeah so the problem is what one calls it's it's um, one of the uh, uh, one of a group of problems that are called extremal problems mm-hmm. extremality here means find the maximum volume of the uh, uh, the maximum volume a uh, given uh, set of pebbles that can occupy inside this cylinder sure so when you put the irregular maximum occupied sized, volume inside a cylinder yeah, with the pebbles so so sure. there will be a ratio so the whole jar has a certain volume these pebbles after you shake pack do no, whatever in practice so clearly the way you're going it looks like this problem cannot be abstracted it cannot be abstracted no, why but uh, but uh, it cannot be abstracted uh, in the sense that uh, the input data uh, is not in your control i mean in other words these pebble pebbles are not given to you of any particular size or shape but if they were to be uniform then it's a that's right so so about 200 odd years ago gauss actually discovered mm-hmm. that uh, you know a man who sells oranges on the street mm-hmm. knows how to pack oranges inside a cylinder for example sure so that's what is called a lattice packing sure and uh, uh, this was this was discovered by gauss already about a, a couple of 100 years ago but mathematicians see this is where again you can talk about abstraction so just for the fun of it uh, you still stick to oranges they are not irregular pebbles or anything but rather than saying you pack them according to some lattice uh, sure. whatever uh, you say well i i'm going to pack them in any way that i like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. then it turns out 
this is a this is a problem you can call is abstracted from the concrete problem mm-hmm. but uh, it turns out the answer is no matter what else you do the stable state is the lattice uh, you know uh, so so uh, so this is this is the kind so of so is there uh, a way of thinking about this more generally gadadhar is there a way of thinking about this and saying so asking this question of what cannot be abstracted so yeah. we know this lattice packing right, problem right, situation yeah. but is there a way of thinking of it more generally and saying that these are the nature of problems that cannot be abstracted um yeah if i were to just say um in in prose mm. i would simply say almost always problems that arise uh in day to day life um even mathematical problems i am not going into emotions and such other things sure. but even well defined mathematical problems that arise in the real world um typically you won't be able to abstract them literally until you sort of simplify them in some way mm-hmm. so this example of the orange versus the pebbles mm-hmm. was that the pebble problem is a, is a real life problem Mm-hmm. but the oranges kind of approximate your real life problem mm-hmm. and uh, as a result you can you can hope to then take that that approximation to the real life problem and expect that that can be abstracted but uh, but generally speaking um, uh, almost always uh, problems that occur in nature actually that's that's where physics comes in that's where engineering comes in those are the people who actually do this intermediate job of taking a complex problem uh sort of translate that into a into a problem that a mathematician can actually think about and of course if you if you sort of start talking about applied mathematics there are the people who sort of help engineers and physicists in in making this translation so another just quick example of of uh, what one does with abstraction uh is that uh, for example when you want to study polynomial equations uh often often you sort of try to look at what the solutions are and uh, sure, you know sure, what sure, it looks sure, like sure. but without a without drawing a x and a y axis the whole story is very different so here are here are two things one is the the roots or the solutions of a polynomial equation which is purely algebraic and the shape of the solution so itself the link which is algebra geometric and yeah. the link between algebra and analysis you, and topology that's right. you know you you put those two things together hmm. and then you can you can then make axioms and say that look if if this shape or size uh, uh you know obeys certain kind of axioms then it's conceivable that it actually comes as a solution of a polynomial equations mm. so i i draw something sure then sure is it sure, is it really sure. the solution of a polynomial equation sure, so you sure. know things of that kind sure yeah. sure and is there i mean clearly the manner in which films would come to be a moinak that is uh, is that largely experimental in its approach or there is something in, even remotely as technical as 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 what um, Gadadhar would speak about in the context of maths. Well, a filmmaker should not approach his or her work task with such fundamental principles in mind. But as I said in the very first response, mm. I don't think somehow I'm, I'm not I'm not somebody who can fully comprehend what is happening here. But sure, uh, sure. As what Gadadhar was talking about, but one can sense that these things should lie at the 
heart of almost all sorts of activities. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think cinema is divorced from that uh, th- those principles. That, but a film production process, when you put things together, images, sounds, yeah, things together, and you don't think in such abstract. You won't get anywhere if you start thinking like that. Yeah, such basic fundamental principles. But if you allow me to come back to what Please. I was saying, if if you, I was you know just it occurred to me that that maybe we can move away from cinema mm-hmm. and think of a, a very widely you know sort of recognized and popular also in some sense thinker, somebody who is commenting on society and and uh, and economic activities. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking of Marx. Mm-hmm. You see, the two things just suddenly came to me. Sure. One is that in Grundrisse the notes, a huge volume of notes that he was taking before writing Das Kapital. Mm-hmm. He comments at one point, I've forgotten where, sure. uh, because I haven't really, I'm not thoroughly familiar with uh, that book from beginning to end, but I've read parts of it. In one pa- one place he says, he uses the expression rising to the concrete, which is mm. a very strange thing to say, that the kind of philosophical tradition that he's his predecessors are, it, it would be always rising to the idea or the abstract. Mm. So he says rising to the concrete. Mm. But it's not peculiar if you look at the trajectory of his thinking. Mm. If you read things, something like, let's say, in 1848, uh, Thesis on Feuerbach. Oh. Mm. Oh. Or, let's say, the very basic sort of you know, definition that he gives of a, of a, of a worker, oh. a proletariat. Who is a proletariat? an industrial worker, what does he sell? He sells abstract labor, abstract labor power. Now, what can be more concrete than actually a laborer going to the factory and working? And so in what sense is the word abstract? That is the thing, because he thinks that when I come to sell my labor power to you Mm. so that I can be employed at a car factory, I mean, there's no car factory in Marx's time, but let's say at at a textile factory, I can be employed at a at a machine tools factory. I can be employed at a something else. I can be employed at any of these places, depending mm. on where you know I find my job or you you are ready to hire me. Mm. Mm. And mm. I become like Charlie Chaplin in modern times. I become like this automaton like thing, you know, agent who just stands and does this on the assembly line. So again, the sense of the word abstract here is substitutable. Uh, or? Exactly. I'm I'm trying mm. to just uh, mm. th- that's where I'm, I'm sure this he thinks. Is an is an exploit or employment or exploitation of the labor power, right? Not concrete labor. This is socially abstracted labor power measured in hours and days, mm. and then your wage is fixed according to that. Mm. concrete labor for him would be <laughs> the artisan producing his own piece of cotton. Yes, yes. Or, you see, or a potter making his own piece of pottery. That's because there is a kind of kind of you know, result, work, labor put towards a certain end. Mm. Here you are, you, are, you are a kind of, you know, your labor power you can sell to this factory owner or that factory owner. It's an abstract thing that you're carrying because it's there, you know, you know working it's capability. Re- yeah, yeah. So if you think, if, you, if somebody can it's say very that, interesting. Mm. somebody can say that labor is actually an abstracted thing, you can see that concrete for him and abstract for him are, are once again is thoroughly entangled with each other. Yeah. You go from one to another, depending on where you are at from what point of view you are looking at. Because yeah. money for him is the most abstract thing. Yes. 
commodities are abstract for it. Yes. Otherwise, there's no reason of calling, you know, coining a phrase like commodity fetishism. Yeah. Yeah. So if you if I if you sell me a, two, a pair of shoes for hundred rupees, and also uh, maybe a few pounds of bread for hundred rupees, then breads and shoes an become equivalent. Nothing can be more abstract than this. Yes. <laughs> you see, this is exactly what what. So, it's a, if you leave cinema, can be or art can be a realm of abstraction. But this is, of course, what affects us physically. Mm. Mm. But Marx always reminded us that this is also a very, very abstract domain. Mm. The mm. money is abstract. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Strangeness of money, as Simmel would say. Very interesting. That's very, very, very interesting. And is the, let's go back to films for, for, for a few minutes. And for example, the abstract films of 50 years ago, 25 years ago, 10 years ago, how, how is that changing? And clearly there may be an interplay of technology in some shape or form. But even the conception of how you think about film and filmmaking is there something fundamental at work? And a little while ago, Pushpa spoke about how geometry may have influenced parts of art and so on and so forth. So is something equivalent or similar at work just now? You mean or? the films that uses abstract shapes and yeah, stuff? Yeah, yeah. You see, potentially, this is how Pushpa, artists like Pushpa are also getting more and more kind of interest in that domain. Mm. Um, potentially, now the power to manipulate the elements of the image is mm. it's many times more now because you are working on digital pixels yeah you are working on because earlier it was kind of you had to go through a lot of labor and a brush to, stroke at best so you've gone to the exactly. level of a pixel now now you actually on the computer you can manipulate the image to such a degree mm. that two very interesting things can happen and, mm. and are happening mm. one is you push the recognizable shapes to a completely abstract thing that is start them Distort, manipulate, layer, sure, composite, sure. and so on. Sure. Pushpa, for example, puts herself yeah. in the sort of quasi-theatrical situations in which yeah. the th situations that she depicts. Yeah. Puts the puts herself as the artist within that. Yeah. But I don't really digitally manipulate. <laughs> you don't digitally <laughs> manipulate. But you see, it's easier to do that. You can't deny that. I suppose you won't deny that. That if you now take an image and put yourself try to put your an old older photograph of yours into that image it's potentially much more much easier to do that yeah isn't it yeah so um, but on the other hand the opposite has also happened in some sense through huge amount of manipulation completely unreal things have been given such reality that's true that you know you think of that's true think of the so called vfx special effects where Actually, things, things that look real, but they're not. They're absolutely exactly. not. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's very interesting. Why have you never dealt with the digital? Or have you, Pushpa? No, I'm working with a digital camera now. I'm, mm. I'm working with the digital technology. But uh, it's actually very, very material the way I work. Mm. And um, you asked uh, what is... Uh, concrete about practice or what is you know you were talking about the uh, difference between abstraction about what is concrete and I think uh, Moinak was saying something like he was talking about uh, sensuality and uh, so on I would say the material practice is the most uh, you know concrete part of uh, making art what does because that mean? You're, you're dealing with materials to sure. make the art 
However, conceptual the art is, whatever it is, I mean, even if you're whatever you're dealing, even they if come you make, their, uh, they come with their constraints, they come with their potential, and the potentials, yeah, and yeah. the promise. But you yeah. have to grapple with it. You have to fight with that material, and you have to master it or not master it. And uh, so, whatever I mean, that's the thing people don't ask um, understand about art practice. They think you know when they come and see a work of art of any kind, uh, they think whether even if it's a book or a film or of course like a whatever any kind of work of art. uh they think it's been produced in the time that they actually experience it but it might have taken years they don't know the process mm. and the thing is there's so much improvisation and that improvisation actually comes out of grappling with the material even if the material is words you know mm. as abstract as words that is also a material so uh, when you make a work of art it's not that you have some intuition or an idea in your head and you execute it there's nothing like execution you that is the beginning and then when you decide whether you're going to make a painting or a sculpture or a <clears throat> write a play or make a film or whatever it is there are all those material things that you have to deal with from the actual tools that you use to the other kinds of materials that you use if you are using actors or people in their assistance technical uh, uh, factors i mean uh, just time season uh, uh, money uh, there's so many things that go into it and accord all that shapes the work and mm. uh, where mm. uh, i mean i would say like uh, now it's uh, actually conceptual art we are talking about conceptual art mm. uh, where the art is supposed to be uh basically the concept and uh, the material is just uh, in a sense a byproduct of that so what would, what would conceptual art look like what so many what, people what are making I'm, and i would call my work also uh, conceptual art in the sense it's uh, it's not conventional photography and it's like uh, basically uh, i'm working with the notion of uh, the history of photography as such or like many ideas like you know which are a part of it but um, the most i mean like you know i think marcel duchamp was one of the kind of uh, you know people who um, pioneered whatever you could yeah. call it conceptual art yeah. maybe it wasn't called conceptual art then yeah. but that's that's the beginnings of it so if you put a you know urinal into the gallery or you put a kind of sure. bicycle wheel uh, that can also be art but then there is that concreteness of that that very object like you know and how you select that art uh, you know object for example very recently in bangalore we're having this big agitation against the private takeover of the Uh, state gallery the venkatapa art gallery so we had a kind of very satirical show which was about artist collections mm-hmm. so it was called private collection That's and uh, public yes. museum mm. so uh, we uh, exhibited our collections and there were different concepts of collections mm. uh, so it is uh, so sometimes it was like uh, things of other artworks that we had or just odd things like birds nets or little things we picked up off the road or uh, like reference materials and so on and uh, uh so forth but it was also very it was very conceptual but very very kind of uh uh concrete you know um it's a different kind the, of collage in some sense so yeah, yeah so yeah. that is where the kind of the sensuality and the, the, that's the most sort of uh uh that's the best definition i would give of uh, sure. even if you make abstract art the the making of it is the most concrete sure why don't we take a step back and yeah. feel maybe go to the early part of the last century mm-hmm. somewhere along the way art kind of turned abstract or at least sub parts of it right mm. most of the art prior to that was i know you referred to cave paintings and mm. said that mm. stick figures are abstractions in some shape or form but mm. when you think of people like jackson pollock or kandinsky or mm. people of that sort what they do is like totally non representational uh, mm. why did art turn abstract if you know what i mean Well, I think it was also I, mean, I would say like you know uh, it was to do with the scientific discoveries of the early to a part of the 20th century for instance 
I mean, uh, even uh, you know the theory of uh, relativity and all those things, which were going into uh, you know even look thinking of a kind of a physical body made up of particles, moving particles, perhaps different kinds of uh, thinking that was going on around then. And did that uh, so, come away? I mean, what did something similar happen in cinema? Do you know what I mean? Like, why did art suddenly turn abstract? It's, mean, it's connected to this history that hmm. she was she was hmm. narrating. Definitely. I mean, if you think of, for example, so it has to do with the scientific backdrop. It has to do with the world of ideas. One can't in really draw a one-to-one sure. correlation like that. But of course not. Things come and converge. Hmm. Uh, hmm. For example, cubism is hmm. is a kind of a destruction of the perspective that yes. she was early. Yes. earlier talking about mm. what is in, if you look at it in, in in one sense it's basically if you put all the dimensions of the face onto one plane mm. what you're doing is you are actually collapsing per, uh, perspectives into something else but that is precisely what uh, the ability to approach look view magnify from many angles of a single natural phenomenon actually would lead you to because you are developing all sorts of lenses for all sorts of kind of microscopic instruments for observing uh, natural phenomenon isn't it that's true so if you look at the very the birth of um, uh, the movie camera mm. the film camera uh, moving mm. picture camera actually initially the people who were involved in it mm. in this so called invention of it mm. all were kind of some of them were just interested in toy making there is an interesting optical toy can create illusions mm. many of them were interested in actually this taking further the natural science kind of you know observation powers of observation and so on they didn't think it was an entertainment medium they thought it was a it was a medium a, a camera would capture bird motion animal motion you know growth of plants from a seed very very faithfully and very closely and so on other mm. people thought it was actually a good tourism uh it extension. would draw crowds extension and so on and so other people thought it was a magic extension of magic mm. so magicians would incorporate films into their shows mm. including mm. our dada saheb phalke mm. was that was interested in magic magic painting and other things you know? so all of that now could incorporate the d- dynamism the speed of the early 20th century the aeroplane the motor car the electricity the fast movement between mm. spaces and so on mm. so if you take all of that into the into consideration maybe a, a, a destruction of the perspectival stable space of the renaissance and you know we are obviously are using have, one word which is turning out to be too catch all so i get the risk of using the word abstract in the manner that we using it but what comes after abstract what could come after abstract what's happening at the bleeding edge of any of your disciplines in art cinema what's happening at the super bleeding edge what what would art be or in, cinema of 100 years 200 years later be like or could be like in uh, in films if you if you take the word ab- word abstract as the abstract shapes and non-figure non-figural non-representative cinema that has never dominated cinema sure that has never done it Yeah, so it's not the present, so it can't no, be the it's, future. It's actually uh, it's something that has always <laughs> happened on the margins, mm. on the peripheries, as a kind of you know independent filmmakers, avant-garde, underground filmmakers would mm. do. Mm. So what mm. comes after abstraction in that sense is not yeah. a yeah, very precise, it's not a very meaningful uh, question. Thing, meaningful question, right? 
Right. But if you right. take the abstract word abstraction in a much more general sense, then uh, you know, I what comes after is a question that it's very very difficult now to answer in any. Sure, sure, no, sure. In fact, yeah. in art, people are going to processes. They're going to natural materials. They're going into natural processes. They're going into looking at art as process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In fact, but on the other hand, people are also going into the computer in various ways, like you know, gaming and whatnot. I mean, one doesn't, one can't say. So, what is your most radical conception of art a hundred years later, Pushpa? One doesn't know what's going Surely. to happen. Sure. Because I, but I'm very interested in narration, and uh, I mean, I sort of, uh, you know, I think why, um, you know, film has been called the, you know, the major art form of the 20th century, mm-hmm. and I think it's so popular and well liked because it has a narrative form, mm-hmm. and which mm-hmm. you can emotionally identify with, and even the experimental and art cinemas, in fact. The mm-hmm. minute you, the thing is, it's very boring for if you want to see something going on for two hours or three hours. If there's no storyline and there's no actors, and you just see shapes and forms, it's very very boring. You can do it for a short while. <laughs> That's see, probably uh, the reason when, like, why you know, Moynak just said and, it's always uh, on the fringe. Yeah, sorry. Yoko Ono and uh, I mean certain experimental films you make a 24 art film of just uh, people's naked uh, backsides like you know uh, sure. walking but that uh, you know you have to be really dedicated and a small kind of dedicated uh, art loving <laughs> uh, uh, you know a group can uh, see this but basically people are enthralled and seduced by uh, uh, you know other human being stories and uh, or landscape or uh, concrete things around them so yeah. finally like I you know I'm very interested in the narrative in a sense I, I said my work is conceptual but I'm very interested in uh, uh, narrative and uh, the figurative and uh, you know sensuality and human and uh, uh, all these kinds of uh, uh, things because I think they're very uh, seductive, you know? Mm, mm, mm. And it draws the audience. Mm, mm. Can we go to Grothendijk and totally change tracks mm-hmm. and um, understand if one can what he was trying to do? And is there, you know, if we think of... Um, if you think of it in really abstracted senses in meta mathematics, is there a way in which like there can be three or four things that explain everything or how do you abstract? Yeah, that of course, even before asking the question, I'm sure you know that there can't be really a good answer to that. Sure. How do you abstract? I mean, um, it's which like, is why we are asking of it in the context of growth and dike now. What yeah, was yeah, he up I to? Know. It's um, since we have been talking about art and other other things i mean it's really asking how do you write a good poem right. or something i mean sure. um i i guess this is where rather than abstract uh, the abstraction actually comes out of intuition that a mathematician develops over a period of time and the intuition comes uh, by uh, sort of practicing, thinking, and continuing to think about the same thing over and over again. You talked about uh, something getting to be boring and so on and so forth. Um, one of the things that uh, that one learns, at least in our business, is that the excitement that we talk about, at least for ordinary folks, uh, comes... Uh, very infrequently. I mean, you know, you, you <laughs> sort of walk up and down, uh, literally, uh, middle of the night and all that. Three years of that sort of thing brings you uh, joy that lasts 
three seconds. You are asking about a joke, in fact, because of this, most mathematicians, after all that, uh, call it intuition, call it whatever, you see what the, ultimately, you see what the abstract picture is. You sort of see it. You have seen a lot of concrete instances. You are able to put it all together. And you say, here is the broad picture. This, this big structure actually has all these little things, okay, that you have been seeing. But then when you see that big structure, you, most mathematicians react by saying, well, so now, now what? There is, there is nothing more to understand. It's just as good or as bad as anything else they have seen. Now, when Richard Feynman, one of the most famous uh, physicists, heard mathematicians talk like this, I mean, you know, they would be chattering around, they start pulling their hair apart, but then at some point of time, they would be telling, oh, it's trivial. Now, Richard Feynman, as a result, this is the joke that uh, he used to make the joke by saying, all mathematics is trivial. <laughs> In the sense that after all this, the, the joy more or less lasts perhaps for a couple of minutes. I mean, unlike something else, we, we you know, we, we can't sort of go on, uh, sort of uh, why, say why, this. Why, why would you say that? Like, for example, because uh, so if you solve Fermat's theorem or... Uh, no, no, no. Uh, all of that is fine. But, but uh, the life of a working mathematician is that the moment you are done with something, you are on to the next. Sure. And so, so you get only those few moments to to sort of uh, stare, sure. stand, and sort of look at uh, what has actually that's happened. But then you move on. Yeah. So that's can, in can the we, Can we go to Grothendieck? Yeah. What so was he up now, to? As far as Grothendieck is concerned, I think uh, he's he he came uh, to the to the mathematical scene at a time when Hilbert had just announced his 20 famous problems and uh, there was a lot of excitement about about um, what the future of mathematics would look like. Uh, either consciously or otherwise, Grothendieck decided that he is going to sort of really make a significant contribution. I mean, as far as uh, mathematics as a whole sure, is concerned. Sure. Uh, at that time... Uh, late 60s, um, early 70s or whatever, maybe early 60s to early 70s, um, the, the two kinds of problems that one might think of of those days is to solve polynomial equations and understand primes, primes uh, in numbers. As in prime numbers. Mm -hmm. Prime numbers. And then there was always in the background what one would call Diffontine equations or or uh, the Fermat's last theorem. Sure. Um, now, to, to give the simplest kind of example what what uh, Grothendieck was trying to do, um, of course, much of Fermat's last theorem and various other things can be seen as sort of just solving equations. Now, if you want to solve equations, you have to understand what the solutions are. So, the point you have is... You have an intuition for the solution solutions, before you solve. As a, as a set, as a geometric object. Sure. Okay? Hmm. Now, here is the simplest example. You, you sort of say x is equal to 0 versus x squared equal to 0. Mm. Now, as far as geometry is concerned, it doesn't see the difference between x 0 versus x squared 0. I'm making, I mean, sure, unbelievably, sure. you know, uh, simple-minded, so to say. But, but the point is that the 0 set of 
x versus x square is actually the same. People had attempted, begun to attempt understanding how to, how to come up with a mechanism that would somehow keep track of the fact that there is a difference between this zero and that zero, okay? And uh, Grothendieck then discovered the language of what we today call the language of schemes, mm -hmm. and uh, that just became a monstrous machine mm -hmm. that that actually is able to uh, sort of understand zero sets much better than anything else that was that was known uh, up to the, uh, that point of time, so to say. This machinery, I, I mean, this, this is not just the and only if we, thing. If we go back, uh, yeah. rather, so how does one have an intuition? not even intuition, you know for a fact that the solution is going to look like this. Are there going to be so many solutions to... Um, uh, no, I mean, uh, you... you uh, right from the beginning uh, of the uh, days of calculus, you you do um, try to come up with, with various ways in which you get you don't get a complete understanding of what the solution set is going to look like. Mm. But but you sort of begin to say, for example, in simple instances, you start saying that um, what does what does the graph of a function behave like? Okay. So let me let me let me twist yeah. it a little bit and say, I mean Push Pushpa, you've done sculpting for a bit early on in your career and I'm sure you know other sculptors. So if we were to think of a topologist who deals with shapes and we think of sculptors who work with shapes, is there a way in which, let's say, over a 30, 40, 50 year career of a topologist and a sculptor, and surely the manner in which you understand something would be very different. But that's that's for, happening already. For example, would a sculptor have an intuitive appreciation for the kind of things that that's, a topologist that, uh, might discover otherwise? Yeah, if you know if what I mean? You, if you look at many, many instances that I am aware of, in mm. fact, there, there are some wonderful collection of uh, sculptors and uh, various other things. There is this um, institute... The question is different. The question is that is a sculptor yeah. with some prescience and some right. um, insight likely to know something that a mathematician might know through other ways after several years of mathematics, if you know what I mean. Um yeah, that's so is, the, so, so, yeah. I so mean, a, a more dumb way of putting that would be to say that is it likely that a sculptor would know a mathematical result in not necessarily mathematical terms? That, that, that was my oranges example. The right. guy who sells oranges piles up the orange oranges in a certain way mm. on a on a plain surface, mm. right? Mm. It's a, it's a certain uh, mm. pattern. That's what Gauss proved is the best way to do it. And uh, so that that there has been, uh, I mean, which kind I can, of relates to this theory practice point that yeah, Pushpa was making thing, earlier. Yeah, and another thing, of course, it's a uh, you know part of uh, architecture and uh, art is the golden mean. Mm -hmm. So the yeah. golden mean was used, of course, in uh, you know mm. uh, in uh, uh, you know Western architecture, but also in Indian uh, uh, you know aesthetics. Like Maybe for example, not, the the yeah. Shankar, this, um, uh, this um, uh, sculptor friend of mine, uh, mm. Mr. Balanambiar, uh, he has done these sculptures on this Belampuri Shankar. Mm -hmm. which is supposed to be the kind of, uh, have the proportions of the golden mean, the golden mm -hmm. proportions. So the golden proportions, I mean, uh, I mean, I don't know whether people started with the architecture 
already or they found the perfect proportion and then it happened to be exactly the golden uh, mean hmm. or the golden proportion so they, and that is why yeah. it was so perfect i i think you know that, so it that can work both ways question, yeah that people uh, like the person who you is selling you can come to a theoretical understanding why right, this practice without without hmm. that's that's what actually nearer home the fight which between physicists and mathematicians is always that I mm-hmm. mean, the physicists always jump ahead, and because they think they know the real world, they just sort of go ahead and say, "We are going to do it this way." No, but mathematicians are doing a good job with analysis. Uh, yeah. No, they they <laughs> they often try to sort of say, "No, this isn't yet satisfactory. This might be working for all practical purposes, but we need something that would actually say it must work." Right. so that's right. where the difference lies yeah right. but but just let me make one last remark about grothnik as i said i mean he uh, he he almost um, uh, abstracted a whole lot of different things particularly uh, what is called algebraic geometry or finding solutions to uh, polynomial equations and so on but what is what is amazing is that at that level of abstraction uh where you are talking about schemes or this or that you will never see or imagine that something like fermat's last theorem perhaps can actually be solved using machinery of that sort yeah but that's exactly what happened i mean what grothendieck did in 60s was largely responsible or played a rather significant role in the solution that Andrew Wiles Andrew came Wiles up with. Andrew Wiles of 90s. I mean, so mm-hmm. in functional analysis there are several examples where what Grothendieck did in 1971 or 69 in his PhD thesis it was completely dormant from 70s to until about 4 5 years ago you cannot believe and this 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 is where the mysticism of mathematics uh is very hard to sort of understand not much was happening this was sort of an abstract idea that's called grothendieck's inequality today a lot of theoretical computer science uh, being able to solve a certain kind of extremal problem being able to do it actually depends on what grothendieck had proved uh back in the late 60s so i mean i i i don't know how to lay hands on that i mean yeah. you have to be either exceptionally lucky or or perhaps uh, have uh, some sort of blessings like like ramanujan used to say that that uh, you know he was just blessed I mean, yeah. who knows yeah what does a filmmaker know moinak and surely maybe they just storytelling and they're plain people and they're just nice gifted people but is there a way in which is this art or practice of filmmaking does something similar you've kind of linked uh, let's say the whole business of sculpture and architecture and so on maybe having intuited the golden mean or the golden ratio something to that effect is there something about the art of putting different things together in the manner in which a film happens and it doesn't need to be the case but i'm just asking you in which you know be- something about something fundamental by virtue yeah, of yeah that that that, that uh, intuition the act of intuition the question is what does a filmmaker know or get to know over a very long period of time again it's well, a very it's reductionist a, it's, question yeah it's a, it's some uh, you we we look at the finished films and we talk about them what is there but if you are asking me something about the filmmaker 
it's very the difficult process to, of filmmaking but one can one can try to put oneself in that position mm. and uh, many things should happen one would be of course the the very uh, act of transformation that uh, happens in front of his or her eyes the filmmaker's eyes because the moment you shoot something and then put it on the editing table add sound to it what happens is a metamorphosis something that yeah. looks like a very very you know real actual people doing actual things actually undergoes such a transformation that it's amazing even with a little bit of ex- experience in joining images together putting them together that i have very 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 small experience uh it's actually quite surprising what i think what what the filmmaker should be able to derive uh if you are if you're asking about knowledge yeah. intuited intuited yes. knowledge yes is from the act of transformation that yeah. things are transformed in front of your eyes yeah that that is one one way of answering your question not the only way yeah well, i would like to add something from my experience of i think editing uh you know is is actually the most transformative and that's where this uh, that's very and my my editor actually uh you know sankalp meshram is a very good he's also a filmmaker he said editing is closest to music <laughs> and uh, so no there's a rhythm in editing it's very it it has to do with the timing and rhythm actually that's where oh. the magic comes in because oh. as uh, you know moinak said there's all this vast material like you know you keep shooting and all that mm. and i guess even in, when you write a book you edit but particularly a film that time actually is that's what makes it magical and that's what makes it uh, and uh, music of course is closest to mathematics right, and you know talking about kandinsky like he said that uh, you know he was interested in abstraction because he said uh, art should come closest to his his ideal form was music music yeah but he wanted to be an artist and yeah. then a painter and so the, he said painting should be like music and um, it's interesting it's very interesting you mentioned that editing is and and as you've been in some of your works yourself do you sometimes forget that it's you and you when is the... no i'm very critical i mean it's like an object i mean i don't treat her. i mean i say she is doing this and it's not okay and uh, blah blah you know that's how i look at it so i'm very objective because i'm i'm also the director and the you know the person who's the script writer or you know the person the person editing and so on so i'm absolutely ruthless good I think that's a good note to end this on. <laughs> Thanks to all of you for making it and we look forward to having you soon again. Thanks. Thank Thanks. you. Take care. Thank you.